Welcome to The Tech That Connects Us, a podcast dedicated to the stories of leaders in the technology industries that bring us closer together, specifically content and media, satellite and news space, connectivity and cybersecurity. Your hosts are me, John Clifton, Laurie Scott and Will Trenchard, the founders of Nuco, a specialist global recruitment and executive search firm focused on these exact industries. We love being a part of them and we're excited to share these stories with you. Welcome to The Tech That Connects Us. Your hosts today are me, John Clifton, alongside Laurie Scott, co-founders of Nuco. And we're delighted to be joined today by Carmen Gonzalez, international telecom specialist who was recently CCO of Asia Broadcast Satellite. Prior to that, she was Intelsat's LATAM MD and RVP, and is now specializing as a consultant to a variety of areas in the industry that get to benefit from her 30 years of experience. Welcome, Carmen. Thank you for having me here. Our pleasure, our pleasure. So to get the story started, we like to go uh, right back to the beginning, I guess. So how and why did you get into uh, the wonderful satellite industry? Well, in the beginning, um, quite frankly, it's per chance. I had uh, gone to school at Georgetown University and I minored in IT. So being in the Washington DC area, I had the opportunity to go to a career fair and interview with um, a gentleman from Intelsat back in those days and was able to participate in their IT project. So I, I joined particularly because of you know, my, my skills with computers and programming back in those days. And I really got to be closer to what Intelsat was as a business. And I thought it was absolutely fascinating. So I had the opportunity to join the commercial side of the house and became one of the first five people who were in sales in Intelsat in those days. Um, what was, it was a whole nother world because Intelsat was an international cooperative. So what that meant was the member states were countries, PTTs. So it was a type of monopoly of monopolies. And it was very exciting because it was extremely international organization. We were working with uh, you know, people from Asia, Middle East, all over the world. The area that we actually were working less with with the United States because it was very closed from a regulatory standpoint. And to credit, the first country that opened the environment to be able to allow what was called direct access was England. It was the first one on a global scale. Great choice. There you go. And um, BT, British Telecom, was the legacy PTT. And they were the first to have that vision and that understanding that what we need to do is allow for other options. And that became a huge domino effect for other countries to follow suit. And so London, you know, the story out of London with, with BT, we were working on that project. And before you know it, direct access um, came clear cost on a global scale. And that resulted in the first significant decrease in prices. Why? Because you opened the bar, you know, you opened competition, you gave out alternatives. And in those days, what we were selling was voice, voice over satellite. That yeah, was it. Of course. And huge pipes of voice as well, right? Uh, so, gosh, from, from there to today, so many things have changed. So, it was really a perchance opportunity to be part of the beginning of something very different in a strong revolution. Brilliant. Excellent. So um, lots has obviously changed from 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 then back to now, back to now. We'll, we'll talk about that later. But um, that's fantastic. So I'm going to stick with the past, Carmen, as well. So for me, um, I mean, you've had 
many outstanding achievements. Um, I think he was a former winner of the International Business Woman of the Year Award. Um, throughout your career, what would you say has been one achievement that you're most proud of? Um, I would have to start with when um, I had a mentor. I didn't know he was a mentor back then who believed in me, quite frankly, more than I think I believed in myself and gave me the opportunity to start the Latin America business uh, department in a company called uh, Williams Communications based out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And what they wanted to do was you know, venture internationally into uh, the, and expand their fiber optics into Latin America. And I remember meeting with the CEO, Miller Williams, and I said, well, how much money are you bringing in today? He said, $34,000. I said, oh, shoot, I'm taking this job because if I do, do $1,000 more, it's a huge increase, right? <laughs> so I started the Latin American department from zero, literally looking for an office, <clears throat> for partnerships, for staff, defining services, prices. And in those days, Vivix International, which today is part of level three, had the largest US domestic fiber um, spread in the United States for video. So they were connected to almost all the sports stadiums. And the project that we did within a year was we connected that fiber via submarine cable with the landing of Florida down to Latin America for the transmission of video. And that was a big deal back then. It was yeah. only data or voice. Video was a big deal and it was successful. We did this at level three. So within a year, we took it from 34,000, $1.4 million. Wow. With very little capex because it was existing infrastructure, yep. uh, very little optics because we were a very extremely small team and optimizing partnerships and putting them together in a way that made a lot of sense. So that's one of the ones that I'm really proud of and, and excited to have been part of. I think the second one, if, if I may add just one more, sure. yeah. was in 2006. And it was the merger of Intelsat and Panamsa. Yeah. That was enormous for the industry. And I was the vice president of Latin America for Panamsa. And we had the, the big, you know, private equity guys um, running the organization, the KKRs of the world. And we were all under the impression that we were going to acquire because we were, you know, we were Panamsa. You know, we had yeah. that cowboy mentality that Panamsa traditionally did. And lo and behold, Intelsat acquires Panamsa. So that put together the two largest operators in the world at that time into yeah. a fusion with the cowboy versus the conservative. The combination of that corporate culture and also the way they were doing uh, commercial business. Intelsat was very centralized. Remember, it was a cooperative, so everything was in DC. Yeah. In DC. And then Pan Amsat was very decentralized where they were close to their customers and having regional offices. And I was part of that merger. And it was very exciting to be involved in something that we knew was going to change the history of the satellite industry, that type of merger. And um, you know, working with different types of customers because Panamsa was very broadcast oriented in those days. I mean, that was how they came up. And I don't know if you remember their logo, Spot the Dog. Unfortunately, I was I was still in nappies. Okay, so <laughs> Spot the Dog was a caricature developed by the CEO of Panamsa. Brilliant. And, and their, their logo is a, a dog doing, doing a certain performance uh, where it says, truth, uh, truth will triumph over bureaucracy and BS. And this was literally on their launchers when they would shoot off satellites, right? It was literally on the rocket yeah. launch. And, and many of those 
who were part of Pan Ams that still have a picture of that uh, dog spot because it means so much to us for those who us lived in that day. But it was, you know, the Samson and Goliath type yeah. challenge. Brilliant. That's fascinating. Um, I'll have to look out for Spot the Dog. You'll have to send it over to me afterwards. So uh, send me the image. <laughs> You'll see how discreet I was in describing him. <laughs> Brilliant. So really, I mean, you've covered a lot from the past um, that I was going to ask about, which is fantastic. So I think from uh, sort of hearing your career and the progression and looking back, um, let's sort of bring it over to the, uh, the present, really. So, um, John, maybe over to you. Yeah, I guess we're you know, really keen to get people's take on you know, what the current state of the market is. And I think you know, satellite is such an interesting area and you've got such vast experience in it. What's your view on the, the current state of the, uh, of the satellite industry? Well, I, I'm going to quote um, a presentation that I saw that I thought really described where we're at. It's a symphony of change in that the traditional large players have gone through, um, quite frankly, a type of crisis and reorganization. And this is catapulted into uh, an environment that we have not been used to, right? The pandemic definitely has made <clears throat> an impact in the communications. Uh, it, depending on what service you're referring to, I mean, there's a whole scale of from consumer broadband to you know, linear programming and how this is impacted. And clearly we're in a state of tremendous influx hmm. and change where innovation is gonna be absolutely key for survival. You're lo if you take into account companies and we've been mentioning Intelsat, why not? I mean, they've gone through you know, chapter 11, but they're preparing today for tomorrow yeah. already. Yeah. Yeah, a perfect example is the acquisition of Gogo. And, and that's an indicator of what's happening clear across satellite operators and in the value chain as well, where organizations are looking to complement and merge and find opportunities to scale. So they're talking about consolidation and vertical integration. That definitely is going to be key to survival, even though this had already been started a couple of years ago, yeah. even or you know, SES, you know, um, that is going to be fundamental in being able to respond to this change in this environment is how are you going to combine? And as a matter of fact, if you look at some of the organizations that are more vertically integrated today, like a Viasat or a Hughes, uh, you, and you listen to what they're providing the customers, it's a full solution. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I was, um, I was keen to ask was, from the the technology either the you know the kind of the technology stack or or the use cases what do you think is an area that that is most relevant right now and that you know either operators or vendors should really hone in on well they are honing in all right clearly um being able to provide broadband in a cost effective matter reducing the famous digital divide is key okay? and those who have been focusing on that are doing better um, now, what's I think misleading is that there's a lot of uh, perception that video is going down, but video is actually a big part of broadband. Mm. And if you only talk about linear programming, you're looking at a very narrow perspective of what you know video transmission is and can be. So clearly, your uh, the ability to be able to you know, work on that and focus on the digital divide will be clear. Over over the top is absolutely trans transforming us in terms of what we're doing, you know, and it's quite frankly even generational. Um, the programming that you see and the content is absolutely key to bringing those eyeballs and the advertisers in as well. Mm. Yeah, it's very interesting. I heard a recent statistic that um, 
you know, during lockdown, 80% of broadband traffic was video, um, which is which is quite staggering. Um, so I, I guess that's um, yeah, it's great to get your take on the kind of state of play at the moment. I guess that um, that kind of brings us neatly into uh, what your views might be on the future. Back to you, Laurie. Brilliant. So, Carmen, I know, um, well, you've been involved in many publications. You've sat on the board for several organisations. Um, when it comes to sort of with the markets and from a geographical perspective, um, I know Latin America is very close to your heart, but where do you see um, significant potential growth in the future? Because everybody talks about Africa and I know Latin America, um, there's obviously a lot of potential and, and obviously the cost is all about the cost. But yeah, where do you sort of see the growth for the future? So the that growth has to be looked at not only from a geographic perspective, but from a service perspective, right? Yeah, so you sure. have to like do a cut into both to really be able to pinpoint where that growth is, you know. Um, where the, what people are mostly talking about is being able to push broadband more toward digital to the rural areas and 5G. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 5G is, gonna, is a life changer, quite frankly, for everybody and in the full uh, supply chain. Um, you, there are so many discussions on 5G and how 5G will be truly supported by satellite. You walk on the streets, uh, I don't know if you see this, but for example, in the United States, there was markings on the floor of Verizon and AT&T, putting where their, their cable is. It's not exactly the nicest, yeah, but that's what they're doing in preparation for 5G. So that's clearly going to be yeah. a life changer along with internet of things, you know, how do we put this together? And the promises and the studies from many organizations, your consult, NSR, by a satellite, are talking about a tremendously exponential growth there. So that's the future. And it's not that far away. Yeah, yep. And it's, and it's going to be, um, like you said, life-changing for a number of people. So, um, yeah, very exciting. So, yeah, we haven't got anything on the ground yet compared to, to what you guys have, but um, I'm sure it's coming. Excellent. Now, when it comes to sort of the satellite industry, I mean, the Leos, the Mios, the Geos, there's, there's a number of companies and different offerings out there. Um, what's your opinion? I mean, what, what's the future hold for those guys? They are going to be, well, the, the main ones are still going to be around. But yeah, what, what's what's the, um, what, over to you, really? Well, that's a very exciting question. As a matter of fact, I was just on a presentation this morning that they were talking about developments on the antenna side for the Leos. It's, it's going to be ground changing. What's really significant is who's backing the Leos today. Uh, more, more than what they're going to say they do is who's behind them. So if yeah. you look at um, what, where OneWeb is today, who would have known such a quick comeback? Yeah. Yeah. And backed by Barty, right? And, yes. And that, what's going to happen there? That's going to be very interesting. And the UK yep. government. Of I was going to say, yeah, don't, don't forget the government. So uh, good investment for them. <laughs> and as my, and they're questioning quite a bit. The UK government's questioning, you know, the rationale behind that acquisition. There's a lot of information in the press about that. Yeah. So uh, quite a hefty come. So let, let's see what happens with OneWeb. I mean, they've, they've resuscitated, quite frankly, very quickly. And then, of course, Amazon Kuiper, which is more on the lower key side and, yeah. and not a whole lot of information out there. They've definitely gotten the regulatory approval, but who's behind, who's behind it? Jeff Bezos. Yes, yeah. So that's what's key is who are the leaders and what their modus operandi is. And then of course, Elon Musk, okay. Uh, he's shot up, you know, he's vertically integrated today. 
Mm, yeah. and, and shoots up 50, 60 satellites in one, in, in, in one rocket. And then yeah. the concern there from the geo side, because they're already starting to react is, okay, so we've launched all these satellites and we've got a couple of dozen of them that don't work. Yeah, yeah. What is so, so the geos are, are really trying to prepare them, themselves for, for this. And meanwhile, the antenna manufacturers are already in the game because that's always been the lagging part of the space segment. Yeah. The rest of them are always behind. Yeah? So it makes you wonder, uh, there's a fantastic presentation on behalf of the CEO of ISAT, you know, very concise about his concerns with space debris. And that's a very valid concern for all of us because yeah. If you look at some of the diagrams and the huge concentration around the equator of mm. floating debris. It's yeah. quite so terrifying. Yep. It is. Yeah. Mm. And I mean, Iridium had that, that sort of scare a few years back, but I mean, fast forward where we are now, we're still having the same conversations. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, scary to think about. It is. And, and what, um, what they were mentioning is that I think 25% of all the debris was one, was one crash was one crash between two satellites. You know? wow. so, makes, so the probabilities get very, very high with the frequency of the launches. It is an issue, but then who's gonna handle that? Yeah, yeah. I do. Mm. Who's, gonna, who's gonna be, governments? Mm. And, who, yeah, and do you think that will be, um, just, just curious on that particular point, do you think that will end up, um, you know, people always talk about it, you know, the, the, the industry of, um, of, of clearing space debris effectively. Do, do you think that will become a thing? It has to become a thing because it's going to impact the globe. It's going to impact all governments. It's going to impact all services. And one of the ideas that they were mentioning was blocking landing rights as a way to incentivize you know, the launch, those that launch satellites, those who own these LEO systems, to take more responsibility in finding a solution, whether it's tugging, we know there's several ideas as to making them responsible for this debris because they're gonna be out there. And these are five-year satellites. Mm. Okay? So yeah. the, st and the statistics are, in, are against us. Yeah, and look at the volume as well of some of these satellites that they're trying to, uh, to sort of launch. It's, um, yeah, yeah, exciting, but yeah, frightening when you start thinking about it. Um, okay, fantastic. Finally, Carmen, I've, I mean, you've touched on um, the Pan Am sat and Intel sat. That was that was huge um, during, during the beginning of your career. Um, in your opinion, what do you see as the next big thing for the future? Where do you see it in, in our industry? Well, I, I'm going to have to go back to the space debris. I think it's something that we really need to focus on. I'm, yeah. I'm very concerned, you know, and many operators are very concerned today about this, and there isn't really a solution. I think it is a big thing. And, and, and if we have proper sponsorship of the public sector, yeah. where they take ownership, and maybe it's the military public sector that needs to be involved. Mm. Um, and, and finance this. I mean, what it, where is the funding going to come? I think that's absolutely critical. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say because the funding, I mean, for to take these projects on is going to be significant. So um, someone's got someone's got to pay for it. I mean, Jeff Bezos, he's got he's got some money, so hopefully he'll uh, he'll, he'll be involved at some point. <laughs> so brilliant. Well, this is really interesting to get your insight and all, all the things past, present, and future. Um, I think our next section is something that I think we all agree is to address. Um, it's about diversity, and I know it's very key to, to some of the sort of publications that you've been involved with. So, um, John, over to you. 
Yeah, and you must get asked this um, a lot, I'm sure, as a woman in satellite for such a long time. Um, and so it, it would be impossible for us to cover uh, to cover everything. But what, I guess, one or two things do you feel need to be addressed to rebalance diversity across the industry? Well, you're right. I get asked this all the time. And um, diversity is, is really a topic that needs to be looked at regionally. Mm. If you start with Europe, it's probably one of the more advanced areas. Uh, Norway, England, uh, Spain, France, Germany already have mandates in, in, in terms of quotas. So, right? so what they're saying is, okay, if you establish a certain um, minimum threshold of bringing in, for example, women on boards, they're, very, they're much more advanced, they're just, well, still quite not there. But I think what's really interesting is what I've been hearing lately in Asia. So earlier this week, there was a very good conference called Asia Vision, uh, Avia is the initials of it. And it's, it's all based on the video market. Okay. And I, I was fascinated to see that there was a panel that discussed women's diversity, specifically in the satellite telecommunications industry. And one of the panelists, and she's quite well known, um, said, well, why can't we be on the primary panel? Well, you know, why does it have to be just a panel based on women's initiatives? Why can't we have female representation on some of the key, key um, discussion points? Mm. And at the end of that, the organizer, okay, when he's doing his wrap up, has to address that. Of course. And and, yeah, and, and so they, they, they really uh, made sure it was going to be a point. So I thought it was great that it got very quickly accelerated to a point of position where somebody can make a difference. Okay. Um, believe it or not, I've just found that, for example, Yasset, which is a, a satellite operator based out of UAE, yeah. has more women than men in the company. Wow. Stereotypical. You would never sort of take think about that from um, That's in amazing. the Middle East, would you? Isn't that amazing? And and the numbers are as high as sixty percent. And and I asked, well, but at what level of hierarchy are are women? And it's at all levels, quite frankly. So there's another example of people, you know, organizations understanding the value of bringing diversity. Um, there was a, a, there was another conference, which actually it's going on this week. It's called Connect Tech Asia. Yes. And, uh, excellent, excellent. If you still have a chance to see it, I think it's free. You know, there's phenomenal panelists. Now let's go to Asia. So there, there are many women that were on this conference that are, you know, extremely powerful in, in key positions from India to, to Pakistan to um, Singapore in particular. There were some very uh, important women. And what I found interesting in that presentation is that it was a panel to talk about technology in Asia. It wasn't a panel to talk about improving women exposure. It was a panel that was a key discussion and they were all women. Very so interesting. Yeah, yeah. And wow. that's where you start to see change. And that was, I think, yesterday, the day before yesterday. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is, we really are starting to see things. So um, that again, makes, you know, that makes you really call attention to Asia. Now, if you move across the the pond and you go to the United States, there are some other interesting examples. So you have via satellite a couple of years ago had of the pre-conference super early in the morning, a panel uh, with key female executives to talk about diversity. It was a god awfully early hour I was on that panel, but at least 
you're getting, you know, this event incorporated into the conferences, which yeah. is another mine, right? Yeah. But we're still not there. What's what's interesting to me is that why is it that enormous asset management funds in the private sector, like a back Blackstone or, or a Carlisle, are making this a mandate of the companies that they invest in. Mm. So the irony is you have private sector organizations, okay, whose purpose is profitability, number yeah. one, okay, are focused on this. And they're focused in a position of power because the CEO of BlackRock mentioned that he's sending out letters to the companies that they're their main shareholder and is saying, well, if you don't have this reputation, tell me why you're so behind. That's an incentive. Wow. That's very that's a very powerful message. That's that's really good. I mean, you know, there's 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 so many different facets to it. What what do you think that employers in the industry could do more of to help redress the balance? Well, I'll give you another example. So I, I was on a, um, invited to a panel for Stanley Black & Decker, very large multinational organization, very well known. And they have within their company, a formal group. I don't want to call it a union, but it is uh, um, run by human resources. They have a group of how to promote up and coming executives. Mm -hmm. And they meet, they have courses, they have training. Um, there, there is a, a program all around this, but it's not from the top. So this is a case in point where if these other organizations specific to our industry and telecom in general had within the organization someone where the mandate is, okay, you go out and how can we develop uh, women executives. Where are the ones that have the talent skill? You know, if if there's some areas of improvement or training that we can offer or guidance, mentorship as well, okay, mm -hmm. is also a very interesting. Way. So there's some real actions that you can take to to focus on this. But again, it has to go back to the incentive. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I mean, it's one of those things that we could, I mean, we could discuss for hours. It's such a complex, um, it's such a complex thing. But I think one of the most important things is that it is a topic that is continually raised, continually discussed and, and, and continually talked about. Um, so um, having learned a bit more about your career and so on, we're, uh, we're, we're back on to the personal side of Carmen. So uh, back over to you, Laurie. Yeah, so um, I'm sure our listeners would love to hear a bit more about you, Carmen. Um, as you know, we're a curious, curious bunch. So for me, um, nothing to do with satellite or the industry. Um, let's talk about your perfect weekend. What would that be? Gosh, well, as a result of the pandemic, it's changed. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say before or after, really. <laughs> There's a little bit of a variety of a pre and post. But um, no, but actually, um, my post-pandemic perfect weekend is to take a bike ride for about 20 miles, go down to Miami Beach, um, you know, get my feet wet in, in, in the bay, and then have a lovely dinner with overviewing the, 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 the night sky uh, with a, a wonderful glass of wine. Perfect. I mean, um, you can't beat that really, can you? I mean, we've got um, got Brighton Beach, which is not really nothing compared to obviously uh, to, to Florida. But yeah, it's um, no South Beach, Carmen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did say South Beach. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother 
Brilliant. Thanks for that. Um, well, Carmen, um, now we're going to, a um, little bit of fun, um, we're going to go into a, a quick fire round where uh, John's going to have a, a couple of questions that we're uh, keen to uh, to get from you straight away. All right. Very good. So, uh, so no clues here. You've got to think on your feet and you have to give an answer. Um, so tough one. We're, we're, we're asking this to everyone that's on the show uh, at the moment. Um, triumphed in lockdown or failed in lockdown? Triumphed. Good. Uh, box set and a takeaway or fine dining? Fine dining. <laughs> Glass of champagne or a vodka martini? Uh, see both. <laughs> <laughs> Sports car or camper van? Sports car. I'm a car girl. All right. City or country? <sighs> City. Uh, plane or train? Um, see both. <laughs> uh, cinema or theatre? Theatre. Uh, Gap or Gucci? Wow. I like both. Um, I'll have to say Gap. <laughs> Espresso <laughs> or Latte? Oh, Latte for sure. All right. Um, and to finish, and we'll give you three options on this one, but you have to choose one. And um, when it comes to winning the Mega Leo Constellation race, SpaceX, Amazon, or OneWeb? I'm going to say OneWeb. All right. Thank you very much. Um, look, great to get a bit more on uh, insight into you and your personality. Thank you so much for that. So uh, just passing back to Laurie for our final question. I was just going to go back to your um, yeah, Gap or Gucci. Surely it's got to be a Gap in, gap in lockdown. No reason they're wearing Gucci, are they? So we save that for when we're... Uh, yeah. <laughs> brilliant um okay so, so one sort of final question for for you carmen really um if you were to give one piece of advice for somebody that wants to get into the satellite industry what would that be well given the satellite industry in general is not an industry where you see a, a younger generation mm. i'm going to assume that the person who's asking me this is in the younger generation Yes. And because we're all, we've been here for many, many years, most of the people, you know, if you see them on conferences. So given that, I would say, do your best at innovation because we need it. We need much, much more innovation in this industry and, and new ideas of, of how to get there. Yeah. And that's going to, and they're going to be able to make a change very quickly if they are focused on that. Brilliant. Amazing. Amazing. Fantastic. Listen, thank you so much for your time, um, Carmen. It was uh, it's great to hear all your uh, thoughts and insights and um, just a real pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun to be with you guys. Pleasure. Thanks so much, Carmen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe and give us a rating. It really helps these stories to be found and enjoyed by more people. For more information about NUCO, we can be found at www.neuco-group.com. You've been listening to The Tech That Connects Us.